Welcome to the We've Seen a Thing or Two podcast. As investigators and mediators focused on regulatory and workplace conflicts, we have seen a thing or two and learned a thing or two. In each episode, we will be speaking with industry leaders in regulation, human resources and law, as well as thought leaders and top performers in investigations and mediation. We bring our audience interesting and cutting edge information on conflict management as it relates to professional regulation and workplace disputes. This industry is one of many views and we have to say that some views shared by our guests are not necessarily shared by the We've Seen a Thing or Two podcast, its hosts or sponsors. Today's show is brought to you by Bernard and Associates, trusted investigation and mediation professionals since 2004. Now here's your host, Dean Bernard. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the We've Seen a Thing or Two podcast. Really appreciate you listening as usual. And on this edition of the podcast, we have a wonderful guest, Lena Sharma Seth, who is going to talk to us about equity and inclusion and what it can mean for any organization that truly and authentically grows that capacity from the inside out. She's going to explain what is meant by all of that. There's a lot going on around the whole equity and inclusion dialogue right now. And Lena is somebody who can really help us uh, understand it and understand some ways in which we can apply things. So first, let me share a little bit about Lena's background with you. Lena is a coach, consultant, trainer, and speaker with over 20 years of experience in various leadership roles in both Canada and Asia. She's the founder of Mending the Chasm, a company dedicated to helping organizations create inclusive environments that embrace equity, inclusivity, and ultimately take a leadership role in building anti-racist and inclusive cultures. Today, she's going to help us learn some of the fundamentals of inclusivity and equity and how the rewards can go far beyond what most people understand. Lena and her associates offer a suite of coaching, consulting, and training services to help companies and teams to build the cultural competencies needed to create more authentically inclusive organizations and community spaces. Lena's qualifications in this space are plentiful with a master's in conflict analysis and management, a BA in peace and conflict studies. She is a professional certified coach with the International Coach Academy. And if that isn't enough, she's recently achieved her Canadian certified inclusion professional designation with the Canadian Center for Diversity and Inclusion. So Lena, welcome to the show and thank you for being here. Thanks, Dean. I'm so happy to be joining you for this conversation. Now, Lena, as I said in my intro earlier, you're going to talk to us today about inclusion and equity, but not just what it is. You're going to help us see the benefits of it for everyone. So to get us started, what would you say is the first step in moving to a more inclusive environment? Such a great question. So the most important thing I'd offer is that this moment is really asking each of us to dig deep and to really build our cultural and emotional capacity to engage with difference. There's a resilience that we need to do this work in a meaningful way. So it's not enough to hire diversity. And I know that's where companies usually go, organizations usually go as a starting point. Um, It's not enough to hire diversity. And doing this before your house is in order, frankly, from an equity, inclusion, accessibility, anti-racism perspective, can actually cause harm. It can set people up for failure. So before we move to a hiring tactic or a public statement tactic, I usually work with clients and let them know that it's about doing our internal culture change work, that we're creating the conditions for success. 
And as fellow conflict transformation practitioners, I know that this resonates with you, right, Dean? Um, (laughs) I believe that, you know, we all have a fear of conflict. I believe it's up there with public speaking, that there's a fear that, that paralyzes many and holds us back from taking the more active allyship role in our workplaces that I know that we can take. And with the rise of the Black Lives Matter movement over the last year after George Floyd's tragic murder, the world's been mobilized to action in a way that I've not seen before. You know, people are waking up to their privileged realities, namely those who are white, cisgendered, able-bodied, essentially dominant, dominant culture, which from a practitioner's perspective and as someone with lived experience as a racialized uh, South Asian woman, of a child of immigrants, really, um, you know, this is really humbling and great to see. But it's a reality that Black, Indigenous and racialized people had to be oppressed for their privilege to exist in the first place that many need to ground themselves in. And really, I like to say that leaders can no longer afford to resist their place in this global movement for a more equitable, inclusive, and anti-racist society. And this is an invitation in this moment that really, you know, we can all take our place in this movement. And no, of course, you know, this work is messy. This work is about leaning into your discomfort. We are all going to make mistakes. And it's about committing to how we're going to repair harm that we cause when we do make mistakes. And I always tell people it's worth it to see the changes in your culture, to see the diversity that, you know, joins your organization, that expands your customer base. That's the hope there as well. And in the words of Adrian Marie Brown, author of Emergent Strategy, amongst other great works, she says, no one is special and everyone is needed. Yeah, that, I love that quote. It really rings so true to me. And, and, you know, in many of the conflicts that we see when we're going into organizations, a big component of the conflict that we see is the fear. It's the fear of change, the fear of a lack of understanding, the fear of language. And so what you've just said makes a lot of sense. And as I said, I really love that quote. So when you say that this change and effort will be worth it, can you elaborate a little bit in terms of the value that comes from investing in, in building that inclusive culture? Absolutely. So considering that we're hopefully on the tail end of this pandemic, I think it's critical that we center equity and inclusion. Whether we're government, business, nonprofit, we have to center equity and inclusion in our post-pandemic recovery planning. There's so much value that's actually left on the table when we don't do that. This is value that we can capture by creating authentic spaces that are actually designed for every single one of us, regardless of our race, our gender, our ability, essentially our difference, that we need to create conditions where everybody can contribute, succeed, and lead. So I have some statistics to share. So uh, the first point comes from a 2015 study done by Deloitte, which finds that 83% of millennials are actively engaged when they believe that their organization fosters an inclusive culture, compared to only 60% of millennials who are actively engaged when their organization does not foster an inclusive culture. You know, when you think about that, like that is essentially a 20% gap. And, you know, this is important because by 2025, millennials are expected to comprise an estimated 75% of the workforce. Right. And we know that chronic disengagement has a massive effect on customer service, both internal and external, and ultimately on the bottom line. Absolutely. And another study from the Nonprofit Center for Talent Innovation finds that employees who perceive bias are more than three times as likely to say that they're planning to leave their current jobs within the year. So this is 31% compared to 10% of those who don't perceive bias. 
There are deep retention costs and implications is really what I'm trying to say. And as you know, with the work that your firm does, there are legal process, time and energy costs that come with cases of harassment, bullying and unprofessional conduct. So not only for the bottom line, but also for the hit your company culture takes, because in most cases, unhappy employees are often talking to others and will take this message and experience with them when they leave. Oh, 100%. And the disengagement and negative organization or team culture can have a huge impact, again, both internally and externally. Our customers feel it. Our employees feel it. The impact is, uh, is mind-boggling. Absolutely. I think about Peter Drucker's quote that, you know, culture eats strategy for breakfast. You know, that's something we need to hold on to as well. So, you know, we need to think about disengagement. Another quote from that same study uh, from the Center for Talent Innovation found that employees who perceive bias are 2.6 times more likely. So from 34% to 13% to say that they've actually withheld ideas and market solutions in the last six months. That's something to think about, That especially when we think about recovery uh, in the coming months. And another Gallup poll estimates that active disengagement, so this is a U.S. statistic, but it costs companies $450 billion to $550 billion a year. Do you know any companies who can afford to have their employees withhold their best ideas and contributions? I certainly don't. <laughs> No, no, absolutely. And anyone who does think that is is truly fooling themselves. I mean, we really do rely on our team to constantly innovate and find solutions to complex problems. I mean, I know that's what my company does and, and many of our clients' companies as well. And, and being engaged and knowing that you play that sort of uh, that integral role in the success of a team or, or the whole organization is really critical to the individual success, but also the organizational success, right? So, exactly. so can you talk a little bit about some of the projects you've been involved in that, that look to improve this area of inclusivity and, uh, and equity? Sure. And, you know, earlier this year, I had the privilege of launching a passion project that was called the Inside Out Project, Our Future is Anti-Racist. And I feel a deep level of pride because this was a local initiative um, in my community that I felt compelled to offer and 15 organizations, 80 leaders went through this program in January and I continue to stay in relationship and connection with these leaders. But there was three goals with this project. First, I wanted to deepen the foundational capacity to do equity, inclusion and anti-racism work from a place that will hopefully mitigate harm to communities that they're hoping to work in allyship with. Because as I said, it's possible to do harm when you don't do this work from a grounded and foundational place around best practices. Right. The second thing I wanted organizations um, to be empowered with was to have a cross-functional and cross-hierarchical equity and inclusion committee to support this work at their organizations. Because having done the work that I do with clients, one of the things I tend to see is a disconnect between, you know, you're creating a DEI committee, but perhaps you're using your joint health and safety committee approach to create that committee. And that is not the goal. You have to kind of begin with the end in mind and start from a cross-functional, cross-hierarchical place that allows this committee to be empowered to make decisions. And then the last thing that I wanted the organizations to leave with was a one-page action plan that would drive and guide their work in 2021 and beyond. And if I could back up a little, I, I should have led with 
how that project came to be. So one night last summer, I literally was woken up at one in the morning and this idea was kind of emerging within. And I remember leaving the bedroom and my husband was like, where are you going? It's one in the morning. I'm like, I have to get this down on paper. And so that came out of me in that moment. And, you know, as someone who is a racialized leader in my community and for many years before I launched my firm, in 2019, the higher up in leadership I went, the less I saw people who looked like me, the less I saw appetite to talk about these issues. And so, of course, with this awakening that's happened in the last year, it was critical to me that we leverage this moment. And so there was an unprecedented flurry of requests that were coming to me from my community, which was amazing to see. But the other thing I was recognizing was that because of COVID-19, budgets were essentially decimated. So there wasn't a lot of resource to do this work. And so that weighed on me. And my fear was that if I waited until budgets bounce back, so, you know, into this year, perhaps next year, my fear was that the will that was alive in this moment was not going to be present. And that was weighing on me as someone who is, I, I consider myself, amongst other things, a social justice advocate as well. And so for me, I really wanted to see changes in, in, in the place where I'm raising my children, where um, I have done community building work for a long time. And so, you know, this is how the Inside Out Project, Our Futures Anti-Racist, was born. And I partnered with a local organization called Community Conflict Resolution Services of Halton so that we could access federal funding, so that, that we could subsidize participation for nonprofit organizations. And so that was a really a successful strategy. And lastly, we also partnered with McMaster University to evaluate this program. So one of the things I want to do is to be able to tell a story by the end of this year or into 2022 to say this is the impact of this intervention. I want to support us telling a story that our community leaders have grown, have changed, that there's actually a difference to our citizens. And so some of the statistics that have come out early days, we're only a few months uh, since the conclusion of that pilot, is that 66% of participants have observed changes within themselves as a result of their participation in the program. 43% of participants have observed changes within their organizations. And I continue to work with a third of those organizations to support ongoing uh, work. So it's really promising to see. Well, congratulations. That, that's just amazing and very inspiring. I've got to say your, your passion for making positive change is so amazing and, and it's clearly having an impact. So congratulations for that. Now, I have to say, this has been very enlightening. I know many of our listeners, they're going to have some ideas. They're going to have better understanding and, and maybe some epiphanies out of all of this after they listen to you. And I think that one of the biggest takeaways for some of our listeners should be that this work is not a threat to the status quo. And I think that's, from my experience, that's what I feel. I feel like if I can for a minute, I'll, I'll go off on a little tangent here, but, but I do believe that the middle-aged white male is extraordinarily fearful I don't want to generalize. I mean, you know, that's not right either. But I do think that there is a large percentage of the middle-aged white male who is fearful that life for them, as they know it, is going to change. What they have to do is embrace that change because life for them, as they know it, can change, should change, and will be a better change if they can just get on board with it all rather than be threatened by it all. Again, I think that's work that we all need to do. And in time, I'm sure we will get there. So again, congratulations on the work that you're doing, Lena. I, I really think yeah. it's, it's so positive. <laughs> now, for a little less intense question, I find that many of our guests have interesting personal interests that often reflect on their success in their professional lives. So I've got to ask you, what does Lena do when she's got some downtime? <laughs> 
Definitely. I'm I'm a big proponent of work hard, play hard, for sure. Um, And this work specifically is hard work and it's emotional labor. I do see this as sacred work. And so part of how I am able to be as present as I am in the work is to tap into my passion. So I love being outdoors as much as possible. I find that restorative and healing. I love cooking and baking. I'm currently on this quest and I say it's a twofold quest. It's either to you know drive around looking for the best cinnamon bun in the city <laughs> or to bake the perfect cinnamon bun. So that's kind of a quick little passion that I love to indulge. I also recently took up golfing. So I'm enjoying the process of learning, being mindful of who I go out onto the greens with because the competition factor. I'm like, I'm still learning. And, you know, I might not be as fast as you, but having a good time for sure. And as a mother of two daughters, I, you know, a six-year-old and an eight-year-old, I love spending time with them. And that is one of the upsides of if there are some silver linings to be had around, you know, the pandemic that we've been able to spend more time together. So we go out on our scooters. Yes, I got myself a scooter as an adult. Having a, a, such a great time with that. We play board games, uh, go looking for, you know, monarch butterflies and caterpillars. And we love watching Bollywood movies. Oh, very cool. Well, hey, when we're offline, I'll give you a little hint on the golfing. I'm a terrible golfer, but there's a fun game that you can play when you golf with people who are better than you that kind of levels the playing field. So I will t- definitely talk to you about that. Awesome. <laughs> But, you know, from what I'm hearing, basically your personal life is as busy or maybe even busier than the professional life that you lead, which honestly isn't really unusual based on a lot of the successful people that I meet and know that really is quite typical. Now, once again, Lena, you know, I really want to thank you for being on the show. You shared some great insights and knowledge, and I think we can all take away some good information. And I'm confident that people are going to want to connect with you. So what is the best way to connect with you? Sure. People can find me on LinkedIn. Or you can visit my website, which is www.mendingthechasm.ca. And so folks can find me in those ways. Oh, that's perfect. Thank you. So folks, that is a wrap for this episode. We appreciate you taking the time from your day to listen to our humble podcast. However, I have one more request. You know, we only get better if we get input from all of you. And I, I say this at the end of every podcast, but you know, we're all about you know constant and never ending improvement. And a big part of that is getting feedback. So please feel free to reach out to us and let us know how we're doing. Give us some suggestions. As usual, all our podcasts are linked to our website at bernardinc.com. You can always reach me at dbernard at bernardinc.com or find me on LinkedIn, Dean Bernard. Aside from that, we will see you next time on the We've Seen a Thing or Two podcast. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye.